The year was 2010. It was November. There was a football game between the Buffalo Bills and the Pittsburgh Steelers. It was the final play of the game. It was going to be the winning pass. It was thrown to Bills receiver Steve Johnson. And as the pass came, he dropped the ball. You know, that's not what's notable in this story at all. What's notable is what he tweeted after the game. He was upset, but he wasn't upset at himself for dropping it. He was mad at God. This is what he tweeted. God, I praise you 24-7. This is how you do me? You expect me to learn from this? How? I will never forget this, ever. We have to lay the blame somewhere, don't we? So we might as well, when bad things happen, lay it at God's feet. In the 16th century, there was a group of nuns who was traveling from one convent to another. And as they had to travel, there was a tremendous storm going on. They had to cross a swollen river because of all the rain, and the way to cross it was a rope bridge. So they prayed before they began to cross the bridge that it would hold. And as they neared the center, the bridge broke and they plummeted into the water. They all made it to safety, but as they swam to safety and finally got to shore, one of the sisters, Sister Teresa Avilia, looked up at heaven and prayed the following, Lord, if this is the way you treat your friends, it's little wonder you have so many foes. You see, we like to blame God for what goes on. Don't we often ask that question when evil or tragedy strikes? Where was God? Why was God not preventing this? What had happened? We know in life stuff happens. And so today's topic in our tough questions that's been submitted, I want to show you on the next screen. This is what we're going to talk about. God is all-powerful. Why does he allow evil to exist? Bad things to happen and Satan to reach Greek destruction. Interesting premise, isn't it? God is all-powerful. He is the one that is in control. You know, as we sat down and talked about this in a group this week, we said this could be a really short sermon. I could just get up and simply say the following words. It's sin. It's sin in us. It's sin in others. It's original sin. It's sin prompted by the devil. There's your answer. I'm done. But I think we need to discuss it a little more, and we're going to look at it kind of in a three-point way. First, we're going to discuss the problem a little, then we're going to look at Scripture and the theology behind what it teaches us, what the Bible says about God and His control and His interactions, and then finally to talk about the application. How do we talk to somebody in terms of 1 Peter with gentleness and love and patience about the hope that is within us? But I want to start first with that question there. I think what the question is, is not really that's being asked, but what the world's perception is. And I want to show you the next slide, because this is the perception that the world has. Man's premise based on nature and reason. Meaning this is man out in the world, not somebody who has been called by the Holy Spirit to believe in God, believe in His Word. This is what they perceive based on us saying, well, God is loving, God is all-powerful, God is in control. It's this. They say this. If God is good, he would destroy evil. If God is powerful, he could destroy evil. Evil exists, therefore, there is no God. 
Don't we hear that in the world? Isn't that their answer to what the problem is? That God would do away with evil, that it would be all gone? So the God that you worship obviously doesn't exist because all of these things are still here. And what this falls under is a topic heading as we discuss it in the scriptures of what is known as divine providence. And what that means specifically is God's care, God's work in the world, how he interacts with his creation, and how he cares for it. And our theologians say this about this topic, and it is one of the big problems that we try to understand in our limited ability. The basic mystery, mystery, notice, they call it a mystery, of divine providence is the relationship of God's will and word to the evil sustained in creation throughout time. Let me say that again. The basic mystery of divine providence, of this whole thing we're going to talk about, is the relationship of God's will and word to the evil sustained in creation throughout time. Now, as we talk about how God interacts, it's broken down into three topics, which is the next slide I'd like you to see. God preserves his creation. God cooperates in his creation. And God directs his creation. Preserving. It means to care for, to take care of. Psalm 36, verse 6 says this. Your righteousness is like the highest mountains. Your justice like the great deep. You, Lord, preserve both people and animals. What does this mean? You know, the Psalms tell us that God sends out his spirit and they are created and so you renew the face of the earth. What God does is keep life going because of the presence of his spirit. We don't realize it. You know, people call it nature. They call it the way things are. A lot of people think God just started it all going and removed himself. What we don't realize is that God is constantly present in our creation. If he were for one second to remove his spirit from anywhere in creation, it would cease to exist. You know, that spirit that we confess in the Nicene Creed, the Lord and giver of life. It doesn't just mean life through the waters of baptism. It means all life. It is the spirit that we see hovering over the face of the waters in the beginning of creation, who creates life through the power of God, through the operation of the Trinity working. And it is the spirit that God continues to preserve and allow life to go on and perpetuate, all because he continues to care. Well, the second one talks about God cooperating, and that's the one that we're really going to focus down on, because that's the one that has God interacting, you know, that asks that question, why does God allow things? Acts 17, 28 says this, For in him we live and move and have our being, as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. What it means in that God cooperates is that he allows things to work, things that we need, things that we use, things that we depend upon, but only they work because God is the one who is allowing them. For instance, bread nourishes us because God allows that to be. Medicine heals us because God allows that to be. He is cooperating, allowing these things, upholding. He allows water to quench and to revive us. We call things laws of nature. That's our name for them. But they exist and hold together again because God is over them, allowing them to work for us. 
Because the very object of what he does all of this for is the holy Christian church on earth. That the world exists in all things for his people. That he can care for them and take care of them. God is above all things and in control all things. So the question today, that specific one that we want to talk about, is how then does God cooperate, work, in the lives of men and of angels, as we know there are good and evil angels, in good and evil acts. And I want to break that down with the next slide as we look at that. God cooperates in his creation through men and angels, good and evil acts, by three things that we need to understand as he cooperates. One, that he is opposed to evil. Don't ever forget that. God is opposed. That's what his law is for. It forbids evil. It is something there to say, this is how you should live, this is the way of life, and it condemns evil, those who go against his law. And at times, God even is involved, the scriptures tell us, in preventing evil from happening. For instance, I want you to think back about Abraham and Sarah, and remember how many times Abraham passed his wife Sarah off as his sister when he was afraid of something happening. Well, in the scriptures, if you look, there's a point where Sarah was passed off to the king Abimelech. And Abimelech was going to take her as one of his concubines, and he was prevented. In fact, God says that to Abimelech, I know your conscience was clean. I know you didn't intend this. I know that this wasn't something you knew about. I prevented you from doing evil. And then when God does allow evil, he uses it in such a way that it serves what he wants to happen. For instance, again, think back in the Old Testament, Joseph. Do you remember what Joseph said to his brothers? You meant this for evil, but God intended it to be something that happened for good. What we need to remember also in all of these things, even though God is over them, he is not the one who authors this. Look at the next slide. How does God cooperate? He's not the author or the accomplice in and the defect, the problem in what we see in the world, the problem of what we see in actions taking place is sin. It is the fact that the defect of what's happening of someone taking on the evil and doing it belongs not in God's realm because he's creating it, but in the realm of man. In the realm of the one who is doing it. And I use the word actor because I couldn't find the word actee anywhere. And it's not in terms of a play, but the person who is creating the act. I want you to think about that. And I want you to hear what Romans 2.15 says. Men show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts. Their conscience also bearing witness. So God has written what is supposed to be in our lives. Our consciences are supposed to correct us. And their thoughts sometimes accuse them, and at other times they defend them. So when we go against what is, the, what God has put down as his, what we call everlasting, immutable law, our conscience is supposed to accuse us or supposed to defend us when we do these things. But we know that we go against that, that it is our choice of those things. I want you to understand also that when evil actions happen in our world, what the scriptures tell us about God, and we need to hear these things, never think that it doesn't grieve the heart of God or that it doesn't offend God. An evil act does. It's always a breaking or a violation of what God's law says. Never think that God doesn't know about it or know what's going on. He does. 
Sometimes he acts and intervenes. God is never indifferent to evil. He hates sin. He hates evil action. And never think that God hasn't given the person who is doing this, the actor who is acting on this, other choices than the sin. God doesn't sit back and he doesn't just say, hey, have at it, go ahead and sin. He has given other alternatives that could be made. And so what we say is that God permits. Look at the next slide. This is the line that our theologians would say. What he permits, what God allows, does not always agree with his perfect will. So God, as he controls things, doesn't do it to the point, we're going to talk about that just a little as we get to the next thing about freedom. But God does not always have the things that happen in this world agree with what he would want to have happen. It doesn't mean he's not in control, but he allows us freedom, which is the next slide. And I want to talk about that. It's important that we understand that we have been given freedom. Now, we're not talking about conversion. Conversion where we know that the Holy Spirit has to work in the heart to bring someone to faith. We don't make that choice. That is totally the work of the Holy Spirit. But we, as people on the earth, have freedom to choose both good and evil in our lives to make that choice. And so we say the choice of freedom makes evil possible, that we can choose evil over the good. And I want to read you a quote because I think this really hits the nail on the head when we talk about freedom. It's from Pastor Bill Hybels of Willow Creek Community Church. He says the following as we consider freedom in our world and this question that we're dealing with. I remember a theology class in college when a frustrated student shouted from the back of the room, isn't this it? Why doesn't God put an end to all the evil deeds being done in this depraved world? The professor smiled and said, he certainly could. He has the power. But the moment that he keeps your fist from punching me in the nose, the human experiment, the human experience is over. If God steps in and averts evil deeds whenever they pop up, we all revert to divine automations. We have no self anymore. We lose our ability to think and to act, those creations that God has given us. Love loses its meaning, as do qualities like courage and honesty and loyalty and compassion and steadfastness, because there's no choice anymore. We can't have it both ways. We can be puppets and live in a world without pain, or we can be decision-making people and live in a world where bad decisions harm us and the people around us and break the heart of God. Now, on top of evil that we choose, that we are allowed to choose, of that freedom, we also know that Satan acts in our world, who is totally sent against God, who wants no good to be done but only evil, and he tempts us towards evil. He tempts the human race. He puts things in front of them that make it sound like that's the proper choice. Or he deludes people into thinking that what they will do will make them happy. It will be the best thing for them. It will satisfy their desires and colors it in such a way that we cannot see the evil. We also know that Satan acts in the world behind a fallen world. A world that has sin in it. I don't just mean us. But remember what the scripture teaches about creation in terms of sin, how all creation is under that curse of Adam. And so we see floods 
and famines and droughts and hurricanes and natural disasters, as we call them, occur because sin is in the world. It's, it's perverting nature in the way that it was supposed to have been. And behind much of that is Satan, who continues. This is, he is called the prince of this world. Remember that. He comes to kill and destroy, Jesus says. He is the liar and the father of lies. He wants nothing more than to destroy humankind, whom God loves so much and gave his life for. We make evil actual by our choice, and remember that God makes evil bearable by his love. You see, God never leaves us alone when something happens to us. This is why he sent his only son, our Savior, into this world, that he would redeem us, that he would buy us back at such a price. That we would be not left in this world with no hope, without love, without his presence around us to comfort and to guide us. That's why we say also that third thing that God governs this world. Proverbs 20, 24 says this, a person's steps are directed by the Lord. How can anyone understand their own way? And Romans 8, 28 says this to us, to his church, to the object of his love and creation. And we know... That all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So evil exists in our world. And evil has to do with Satan and the choices that people make. We need to lay that blame where it belongs, not at God's feet, but at our feet. And it's sinful man in a sinful world. But the thing that I want you to understand, based on that premise that we saw first of what man thinks, that if God was this and if God was that, he would do this. Here, it really, based on scripture, is the true premise, that final slide. God is good. We know that from the scriptures. And he will destroy evil. God is powerful. And he can destroy evil. And we know this from the scriptures, evil exists, but God will one day destroy evil. You see, we have that promise in scripture, that God will wipe all of this away, that Satan will be done away with, that evil will be done away with. We know as we celebrated during the ascension that Jesus is at the right hand of God interceding, that he is in control, that all power and glory and dominion have been given to him. But what we see in this world is that not all things willingly want to be subjected to Christ's rule. And so they rage against him and cause havoc. But we have a promise in scriptures as people of God when we see evil around us, when we experience heartache, when tragedy takes us to know this is not the end of the story. That God will wipe this all away. That God is able to work in these things to bring about good. I think so often the problem is we may never see it. We might not see it in our lives in this moment. We might not see it in our lifetime. It may be other generations that will look back and see how God has worked. Our challenge in this, as Paul said, is to persevere, to press on in the faith, to know that God is good, that God does care, to know all of these things. And then finally, the application. How do we then apply this to those around us? I think first and foremost, and you're going to hear this a lot through this series, we understand the scriptures, we look at them because we have been given the gift of faith. Remember that someone without that gift, the scriptures is our, our foolishness to them. So for us to start quoting scripture to somebody who doesn't know about it isn't going to make any sense. It's not going to compute. 
The Holy Spirit has to work in their heart and bring them to faith before they are going to believe what we believe. So what we need to do with people around us who are suffering, who ask this question, is not try right away to write them and tell them what the truth is based on Scripture. What we need to be is people who are loving and kind and compassionate, who understand the grief and the suffering that they're going through, who understand their need to be a friend to them, to comfort them. And then what will happen as you go along in that is as they watch you in your life, as they see you act differently than they are acting, as they see things happen in your life and you don't fall apart and you don't rage against the heavens and you have this quiet confidence in you, as Peter talks about, they'll ask you the question, well, why are you acting this way? Why doesn't this bother you? Why are you doing what you do? And there is what First Peter is talking about. That then you are able to answer in gentleness and in love about the hope that's in you. The door is open. Then you can begin to talk to them about those things. That's how we are to work in this world. We need to understand that first and foremost. To be the kind of people who are loving and caring and compassionate for those who are in need. Who don't understand. Who Satan is tossing about and wreaking havoc in their lives. That we have that quiet confidence that our Lord Jesus Christ has given us, founded in Him. That we know that all things will work to good for those who love God. That He is in control. That the victory belongs to Him. That evil will one day be done away with. But until then, we press on, we persevere by the grace of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray with you. Lord, we know in our lives that many things come on us and that we suffer at the hand of evil. We know also that we lay that blame not at your feet, but at the feet of mankind, of those who have made that choice. Help us always, Lord, in the faith to persevere, to know that you are a God of love and grace, that all things are in your control, that you will work through all these things in spite of what we see to bring about an end. Help us to be loving and compassionate in all situations, to care about those around us, and be ready for that opportunity to give an answer for the hope that is in us with gentleness and love when the time comes. For, Lord, you are faithful. You will open that door one day that we may respond, that you will receive all the glory and praise. We ask this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.